0: Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again. I just want to say welcome. It's great to be here with you. I want to welcome especially those of you who are joining us right now who aren't in this room physically, if you're in our traditional sanctuary right now or you're online or on TV. I mean, thanks for being here. Thanks to everyone for gathering this morning. I'm really glad and encouraged by this opportunity that we have together, even in different places, at the same time to grow together in the life that God gives us in Jesus Christ. And we're starting a new series today, and it's called Heart of the Story. Heart of the Story. And I, I wanted to share with you at the beginning just a little bit of why we're doing that, what this is about, where we're heading on this journey. The heart of the story, we all have stories, right? We all lived through stories this morning already. Maybe for some of you with young kids, there was a story on the way to church this morning. We all have stories. We have little stories that make up our lives, stories of our successes and failures and adventures and pains. And then we all have like long stories. There's a story of all of our lives. And when you get to know someone, you build a friendship, you're a family with them, you, you join your stories together, you get to know each other's stories, you help write each other's stories. We all have stories of our lives, but sometimes we don't really have a good sense of how to make sense of our stories, or where our story might go next, or who's writing our stories, or whether our story is a part of any larger story. Or, or is it really just that one day, a, a while ago, we were born crying in our mother's arms and a few decades later, we drew our last breath? And is that, really a, is that all there is to our story or was something bigger? The, the point of this series is to help all of us connect with the stories that God is writing in our own lives, to, to connect with the individual stories of the stuff that we go through on a daily, weekly, yearly basis, to understand the long story of our lives, how those things go together, To get to know the author of our story, to understand where God's taking our story, and to understand the big cosmic story that our lives are a part of. I I thought maybe I'd start this morning by sharing with you a story from my own childhood, something that kind of connects with a little of our theme later on, one of those little embarrassing childhood stories. Uh, For those of you who have heard my story before, I grew up going to a few different schools as a kid, actually, but I I wound up going to a Christian school a Lutheran school, actually, very much like Magnuson Christian School, is an educational partner with us. I went to the school called West Park Lutheran School in the second grade, only for the second grade, but in the second grade. And I remember my teacher, Miss Anderson, and she asked us why this church that we were in was called a Lutheran church. Where does that name come from, right? And I was kind of this ambitious, eager little kid. I know that'll surprise you a lot. And, uh, you know, hand shot up. I actually did wait to be called on. I don't I don't remember if any other hands went up or not, but I remember my hand went up because I was the star of my own story, right? So my hand went up and uh, I waited to be called on and she called on me and I said, it's named for Martin Luther, right? And she starts nodding. She's like, right, that's good. And a little second grader, I love affirmation. I love being right. But, but this, this will also surprise you. I didn't just want to be right. I wanted to be like really right, right? <laughs> I and mean, I wanted to be like impressively right. Like, oh, I wanted to be right, right? So I said, Martin Luther, and then she starts nodding and saying, yes, and I finished my answer, and I said, King Jr. <laughs> yeah, and then I went from being right to not so right. <laughs> I don't like being wrong, right? I don't. You, you like being wrong? I don't like being wrong. <laughs> we all have stories, right? I mean, stories from our lives, from our childhood. Some of them are kind of funny and mildly embarrassing. Some of them are stories of our successes and victories. Some of them are more seriously embarrassing. Some of us have stories of pain in our lives, the stories of the things that hurt us. And I know that some of us aren't just talking about stuff from the past. I mean, we're all living in stories right now. And I know that a lot of us who are gathered here in worship this morning are right in the middle of stories that you don't know how it's going to end there is significant unresolution in your story. There is chaos and pain in your story. Like maybe you learned in high school English that stories have characters and conflict and plot and all that. I'm doing that with my sixth grader right now. And you're kind of at that place where I there's characters in my story and there's conflict in my story. But man, I don't, I don't know where it goes from here. And all throughout this series, one of the things that we're going to spend our time doing is sharing stories with one another. We've got a lot of stories from members of our congregations, regular people like you and me, talking about the stuff that God is doing in our lives that I want to share with you. We've actually launched a website. It's heartofthestory.org. And you might want to look that up. We're going to talk a lot about it throughout this series. It's like a video library of testimonies, of stories, stories. People telling their own story of, this is where I've been, this is what happened, this is what God did in my life. And you'll get a chance to see a lot of those over the course of this series, and I'm going to share a lot of those with you week to week. But actually, this week's just a little different. We're going to begin this week by looking backward. We're going to look a little backward into the life story of a Christian who lived about 500 years ago. Today's kind of a holiday in the Christian church. It's a day called Reformation Day. Reformation was a time, history time in history about 500 years ago. And I want to tell you a story from the time that God was doing something in people, in his people, in the church, about 500 years ago, in the life of a guy named Martin Luther. Not necessarily King Jr. this time around. And when we think about people who lived a long time ago, they, they tend to be like two-dimensional characters. They live in black and white. But man, Luther was a guy who had a, a pretty messed up story. There was a lot of chaos and a lot of pain in his life. And as I tell you his story, I think this will be clear to you, but I just want to say this by way of introduction. I know we all come from different places, different backgrounds. Some of you were, like, born and raised Lutheran for decades and decades, and that, that kind of context makes sense to you. Some of you have no idea, like, Luther, what? And my own background is kind of halfway in between the two. Like, I kind of have a mixed-up background there. So I just feel like it's important for us to say, I'm going to tell you this story about this, and I don't want anyone, like, we don't worship Luther. If you have no background in Lutheran church, we don't worship Martin Luther. And there are some stories coming up in a few minutes that will tell you why we don't worship Luther. And he was a... He was a mixed-up, fallen guy, just like the rest of us. And it's kind of even weird that we call our church Lutheran, actually. That's a in history that name developed. People started calling themselves Lutherans during Luther's own lifetime, and he thought that was the stupidest idea anybody ever had. Quit calling yourselves Lutherans. So we're not exactly Lutheran, because we call ourselves Lutheran. It's on our church. We don't worship Luther, and We also don't think, as a church that is in the Lutheran tradition, that we're the only church that has all the right answers. I don't really think that. There are a lot of different churches in God's big church on earth, and I think we have different gifts that we bring to one another. The Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, all the Catholics, the Lutherans, everybody. There's some Methodists right across the street. You know, we all have parts that we contribute to God's church on earth. And I think Lutherans have some pretty powerful gifts to share. It's what makes me one of them. And I want to just start by telling you this story of kind of how God started this movement in the life of a very fallen guy named Martin Luther. In, in his life, he grew up as kind of part of what passed for a middle-class family in the 16th century. His dad was a blue-collar guy. He worked in the mines. He was a miner. He worked really hard. He wanted to provide an education for a young Martin and his siblings. He testifies uh, to wanting better for his kids than he had for himself. I mean, a lot of us who are parents, we know what that feels like. We really just want to do the best we can for our kids. And although he wanted that for his kids, it seems that young Martin Luther also learned that his father was was a pretty hard man and that he offered his approval conditionally. It came sometimes, it didn't come all the time, and Luther, young Luther learned what it was to be loved conditionally. And he had some scars in his story from that, and I'm not here to do psychoanalysis on someone who lived 500 years ago, but I know that when you live through a story like that, that it it does leave a mark on your life, it leaves some scars that shape your experiences that come later, that was part of his life. Luther also had some experiences early in life that caused him to take very seriously the idea that his life was temporary. He had some experiences where he wrestled with death kind of early on in life. There was a time he was out in the woods and he took an injury to the leg and he was laying out in the woods and he's bleeding out of his leg and thought he was going to bleed death in the woods all by himself and like his cell phone was too far away to reach where he was laying on the ground and <laughs> just couldn't call for help. It was a tragedy, right? No signal. The towers were far away. He was laying there in the woods bleeding. He thought he was going to bleed out. He was going to die. He's trying to hold his leg up in the air, keep pressure on the wound. Just wrestle with God. Is this the end? Where are you, God? There was a time he was out walking alone at night down the road, and there was severe weather, terrible storm, right? And in the 21st century, we kind of have mixed experiences of that. Some of us don't take that very seriously at all. We're in our cars. It's fine. The lightning comes. We're grounded. Rubber tires park under the bridge. We're good. Luther left his car behind. He was walking down the road. <laughs> we, just this last week, we saw Hurricane Patricia come ashore uh, in Mexico, one of the strongest hurricanes ever to hit. And then yesterday I saw on the news the flooding in Texas right now. The flooding in Texas, yesterday I saw on the news, washed a freight train off the railroad tracks. Man, Mother Nature is not to be messed around with. That is strong, right? Luther's all by himself walking on this road. I don't know exactly what the storm was like, who could possibly know, but the lightning is striking. Apparently it struck nearby and he thought he was going to die. And Luther, in these circumstances, came to realize that he was not bulletproof, right? And I think a lot of us, well, there weren't really a lot of bullets in Luther's life either, I guess, like cell phones, cars, bullets. He came to realize that he was not invulnerable, that he could die, that life is fragile, it's temporary. This is a lesson a lot of us learn at some time or another in the pain and sickness of our own lives, in the sickness and death of parents or siblings or children or relatives or friends. And we ask ultimate questions. And Luther really began to wrestle with God through some of that. And he was afraid of God. and He thought that maybe God was out to get him, that God's love for him was conditional, and that God was really angry with him and was punishing him and threatening his life was going to kill him. And Luther became quite the tortured soul. He became a monk. He was searching for God, trying to serve God in the monastery. And as a monk, he tried to search the Scriptures and behave and do all the right things, and he was trying to please God. But he was just terrified that he was always displeasing God and that God was out to get him, and he could die, and who knows what happened after that. There's, there was a Luther movie that was made a few years ago, I think it was like 10 years ago or something, there's a little clip of it it's a, that I want to show you in just a second. It's a clip of Luther kind of in his cell in prayer, in a tortured soul, and his mentor comes to, comes to comfort him, and his mentor has a really bad accent in this movie, so we put the, like, the captions on so you can understand it. This is Luther and his mentor, in Luther's like tortured night of the soul. Let's roll
1: that video. My fault's here, my pride, my cursed lust. I confess them all, I confess them all. Just leave me, just, just leave me, just, leave me. just leave, me. leave me, leave me. We are too hard on yourself, Brother Martin. Arguing with the devil never does any of us any good. He has had 5,000 years of practice. He knows all the weak spots. I'm sorry about today. I'm not here to scold you, Martin. I'm too full of sin to be a priest. No, in two years I've never heard you confess anything remotely interesting. I live in terror of judgment. And you think self-hatred will save you? Have you ever dared to think that God is not just? He has us born tainted by sin. Then he's angry with us all our lives for our faults. This righteous judge who damns us. threatening us with the fires of hell. I know, I know, I know I'm evil to think it. You're not evil. You're just not honest. God isn't angry with you. You are angry with God. I wish there were no God. Martin, what is it you seek? A merciful God. A God whom I can love. God loves me then look to Christ bind yourself to Christ and you will know God's love say to him I'm yours save me I am yours save me I am
0: Okay, so just kidding about the captions, I guess. But <laughs> That cross that was placed in Luther's hand, that became the shape of the change in Luther's life that he had started forming. He had learned these different images of God in different places. Maybe he had learned it in his home. He had learned it from other teachers in the church. He had formed this image of God that God is arbitrary and capricious and angry and can't be trusted and out to get you. You've heard stories like this. Some of you have formed images of God like this, and Luther was tortured by that, and he got this cross, this image of the cross that God gave him. It's a little bit Hollywoodized there in that movie, but he came to understand that God isn't like all the pictures that somebody else gave you, that God isn't like the projections of your own imagination, and we have plenty of those, but that God didn't leave us to wonder what might God be like, but came to show us Because he knew that we would need to know. God became flesh and dwelled among us and showed his love to us in the shape of the cross. And as Luther began to realize that he had a reliable picture of the character of God, that God wasn't out to get him, that God wasn't arbitrary or unreliable or untrustworthy, but that the character of God had a shape, it had a picture, it had a face, it had a name, the name was Jesus Christ and him crucified for us, it changed everything for Luther. He realized that that I have a hope and I have security And I have a future, and I'm loved, and I belong, and I'm a child of God. Not because I heard it from anywhere, not because I made it up, because I made up other stuff, but because of what God did for me in the cross. It revolutionized his own relationship with God. And it began to revolutionize his teaching. And he looked around, and he saw that the church wasn't teaching this. And he realized there were other people who were suffering and hurting and dying under this misrepresentation of God that he had been taught and that he had formed. And he wouldn't stand for it anymore. And there was this one thing that was especially became sort of a famous flashpoint in Luther's life. The, the, church, the church at large was selling these things. They, they began to sell to people these get-out-of-jail-free cards, if you will. People were terrified about their eternal future, and they were terrified about their, the present future of their loved ones who had gone on beyond them. And they were worried that they were in this kind of spiritual jail that was called purgatory, which is like if you died and there was still sin in your life, the, the, the cross of Christ wasn't enough to cover that, I guess, but you had to go purge off your sins in purgatory, which would mean spending, you know, like 100 years in the flames or something like that or 500 years in the flames, whatever. And, but, but you could reduce that time for the low, low price of 19 just like three easy payments, right? And so the church had a fundraiser And they would sell you what they called indulgences or get out of jail free cards. And you could buy these. And if you really loved your dear beloved grandma, you could buy two of them and get her out of like 100 years of purgatory, right? These things were selling like (laughs) hotcakes. Because it turns out, as I've heard somebody say, there's good money in bad religion. So the church was selling these things. And Luther's like, no, this is not right. That's not what God is like. God isn't sending your grandma to the flames to burn off 100 years of sin because she believed in Jesus but she messed up. That's not what it's like. And so he went to war with this guy named John Tetzel, who was selling these indulgences, and he decided he needed to call the Pope. So, well, not on the phone, you know, but he needed to get a hold of the Pope, and he's going to go to Rome. And he goes to tell Pope Leo, I think it's Leo X, he goes to tell Pope Leo in Rome about this, because he needs to know so he can shut this thing down. And then he found out Leo was getting a cut. (laughs) That's not so good. (laughs) So Luther got himself in trouble, right? And the Pope and Luther got in all these kind of fights, and they started to insult each other, Right? So there are lots of colorful stuff. The Pope said that Luther was like a, a fox who made his way into the chicken coop and he was killing all the chickens. And he said that Luther was like a wild boar ravaging around in the vineyard of the church, uprooting stuff and wrecking stuff. Well, that's not very Christian, is it? Wait till you hear what Luther said. So <laughs> I brought along a quotation and I put it on an index card because I didn't want you to think that it was in the Bible, okay? So it's over here. This is what Luther said to the Pope. If we need to edit this out later, you know it can be done. All right, Luther said, you are the head of all the worst scoundrels on earth. You are a vicar of the devil, an enemy of God, an adversary of Christ, a destroyer of Christ's churches, a teacher of lies, blasphemies and idolatries, an arch thief and robber, a murderer of kings, an inciter to all kinds of bloodshed, a brothel keeper over all brothel keepers, and all vermin even that which cannot be named. I think he ran out of words for a second. And then he remembered some more. An antichrist, a person of sin, and a child of perdition. A true werewolf. This was, yeah, and then he dropped the mic. (laughs) So Luther was not perfect, right? We don't worship Luther. There were moments in his life where he wasn't full of love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. But in this case, Luther and the Pope were not, uh, well, it wasn't a fair fight. The Pope had all the power and Luther had none. So the Pope decided to excommunicate Luther, throw him out of the church, and put him under the ban. He was like, basically, he was an arrest warrant. The, the hunt was on for Luther. He could be arrested and put on trial. And like those who had gone before him, probably burned at the stake. So fortunately, Luther had some friends. He had some friends in power, and they decided to hide him. They took him to a place called, they a castle called the Wartburg Castle. And while he was there, he, he couldn't tell anybody that his name was Martin Luther because then they'd probably rat him out and he'd be in trouble. And there wasn't any internet. There was no Google image search. Nobody knew what Luther looked like. He just probably had a bad haircut like the guy in the movie. But so did everybody. And so they hid Luther in the Wartburg Castle. And, uh, and he had to go around pretending to be a knight named Sir George, the long-lost knight who came to find his old castle again. So Sir George, the Wartburg Castle, is there. And you're kind of making light of it, but he's got a hideout. And it sounds all heroic and adventurous and whatever, except that this was supposed to be like the climax, right? Luther had discovered something important and he went to tell the teacher of the church, the Pope in Rome, and he put him under arrest. And now Luther has to pretend to be George the Knight. And like he's got to be going, seriously, God? Have you ever been the, like the failure for doing what you thought was right? Or it's just nothing's working out. Luther, we know. Prayed the Psalms. The Psalms are prayers in the Old Testament and the Bible. There's 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. Luther prayed five Psalms a day, which means he'd get through it once a month. Every 30 days, he'd get, the whole through, get through the whole book of Psalms. Luther apparently memorized the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And while he was there, I'm wondering as he's wrestling with God, going, What am I doing here? What, I, this is obviously part of Luther's story, but where does this story go? How do I make any sense of this? And I wonder if he prayed Psalm 22, verse 1. This is what the first, the opening of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, why have you forgotten me here? I was trying to serve you. The rest of that verse actually says, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? I'm praying, are you not listening? Is there just like a ceiling? Are my prayers not getting through? You've never felt that way, right? Have you ever felt that way? Luther probably remembered, as I imagine he prayed that psalm, maybe once every 30 days, maybe a lot more often as he was in the Wartburg Castle, that that same prayer passed the lips of Jesus when Jesus was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And right there in the midst of Luther's chaos, in the midst of this part of Luther's story that just stunk, that didn't make any sense at all, that he was holed up at the Wartburg Castle having to pretend to be somebody he's not, he could remember what he would not have known had his view of God not been shaped around the cross. And that is that God in the midst of our chaos is not absent, has not forsaken us, has not forgotten us, is not so far from the cries of our anguish, but that it is in the darkness and the chaos that God is most present. That's right where he was there with our Lord Jesus himself and with Luther in the Warburg Castle and with you. That's what the message of the cross reminded Luther in that place and can remind us when our stories aren't making any sense at all. And so while Luther was there at the Warburg Castle, he had nothing but time on his hands. And just like all the rest of us, he had a fluent mastery of Hebrew, Greek, German, and Latin. (laughs) And so since he had nothing but time on his hands, he decided to undertake the small project of translating the entire Bible (laughs) from Hebrew and Greek into German because the only available copies of the Bible were in Latin and they were owned by the church, and nobody spoke Latin in Germany other than the priests for at least hundreds of years. And he realized people need access to this story. They can't just be hearing this through distorted lenses. They need to be able to read the Bible for themselves and find the story of Jesus' life and the story of his death and the story of the cross. They need to know the center of the story, the heart of the story, is God's love for them in the cross of Christ. And so he translated the Bible into German, and copies began to be distributed, and just so happens that God helped people invent the printing press at right about the same time, and the Bible began to be widely distributed. In fact, they said at one point in the 16th century, 70% of all materials in print at that time were authored or translated by Martin Luther. (laughs) So that's a big hit for Amazon.com right there, wouldn't it be? (laughs) Luther translated the Bible and put it into the hands of the people. It's so one of the reasons that we continue to have a commitment in our church and lots of churches that have been influenced by this period in history to Bible study together. It's part of our community group ministry. It's why we have study guides in the bulletin every week so you can learn to read the Bible, practice encountering the story of God, the heart of the story there. And, you know, Pastor Angie, Pastor Corey, me, we might screw it up up here on Sundays, but you can read the Bible for yourself and gather together in community groups. That's why we have that commitment. Well, Luther came into this place, he was under arrest, he was excommunicated, he realized that there was a lot of stuff in question. He began to question all kinds of things, and the last part of his life that I want to share with you was when he began to question this rule, like, did God really say that priests and monks and nuns couldn't get married? they like, better than everybody else, there's some holy estate, and so they don't get married, and everybody else is just stuck getting married or something, it's just like all twisted. And Luther realized, that's not what the Bible says. And so he began to teach that, and other priests began to get married, and monks left the monasteries, they got married, nuns began to escape the convents; so they got married. One time, Luther helped liberate this one convent. The, the nuns couldn't get out, they were being watched over, and so he made a deal. He had a friend, he was, his friend was the guy who delivered barrels of pickled herring to the convent. So he made a deal with him. when you deliver all the pickled herring, and the barrels are empty, the nuns are going to climb in the pickled herring barrels, whoo, and then you go pick up the barrels, and when you haul the barrels out, like, be careful. There's people in there, and you're going to carry the nuns out. Do you remember that scene from Lord of the Rings where that happens? It's pretty cool. Anyway, so the nuns get, his nuns escape, and then the orcs chase them down. Okay, the nuns escape, and all the nuns get married except for one. And Luther himself also taught other priests they get married, but he didn't. One of the nuns didn't get married, and Luther wasn't married. You know where the story's going. And her name is Katarina, or Katie. And Luther and Katie got married, and apparently they decided, one of the reasons they decided to get married, Luther told her, was because it'll make the Pope angry. Right? So he's <laughs> he's a hopeless romantic, right? Just what every girl wants to hear. <laughs> Will you marry me? It'll make the Pope angry. Right? So Luther and Katie get married. Katie became a very important figure in the Reformation and influential leader herself. I just tell you one colorful story from Katie's life that always it's always in my memory. So she became the brew mistress of their house. She got the monks beer recipe and she made beer for the big Luther household. They had three, six kids, three boys, three girls, and all kinds of people living there all the time. And uh, she cared about the quality of the beer produced in the Luther household. So she talked the city officials into s- not throwing trash in the river on Tuesdays because that was the day that she drew the water to brew the beer, right? I'm like, could you try like Monday and Sunday too? But <laughs> whatever, it was the 16th century, Right. And it was in the context of family life that uh, Luther, I think, developed some of his most important teachings, some of his most powerful teachings about what the cross means not only for knowing the character of God but for the little stories that we live every day for the daily decisions of our lives. And Luther gave some instructions to mothers and fathers, to husbands and wives who are caring about their children. Some of you may have heard this before. It's kind of a famous teaching from Luther, but I, I want to share it with you. Apparently, word had reached Luther that sometimes dads were not entirely devoted to the care of their newborns. Stunning, I know. But this is what Luther said. This is how fathers should regard the care of their babies and the diapers that they change and all that. They should pray like this. I confess to you, God, that I am not worthy to rock the little babe or wash its diapers. That's not an excuse not to do it. It goes on from there. Right? <laughs> I'm not worthy or to be entrusted with the care of the child or its mother. How is it that I, without any merit, have come to this honor of being certain that I am serving you and your precious creature? And how gladly will I do so, though the duties should be even more insignificant and despised, neither frost nor heat, Neither drudgery nor labor will distress or dissuade me, for I am certain that it is thus pleasing in thy sight. And then a wife, too, should regard her duties in the same light. As she nurses the child, rocks and bathes it, and cares for it in other ways, and as she busies herself with other duties, these are truly golden and noble works. Man, a lot of our stories don't feel golden and noble every day, do they? And mean, just one day after another... Same stuff, different day, just over and over again. And doesn't feel like what you're doing in your life, whether you're a mom or a dad or an employee or a neighbor or whatever. No one's actually going to write a book about that, right? You're not going to feature in reality TV. No one's going to make a movie about you. And it just feels so mundane, like my life isn't really very meaningful. Luther realized that those are the relationships with our husbands, wives, kids, neighbors, coworkers, friends. This is the place where we bear the cross for one another, where we in a daily, mundane, sort of normal way lay down our lives for each other and serve one another. And that far from being meaningless or mundane or uneventful, we are participating in the most powerful thing that God does in the universe. We're participating in the kind of work that God did in the cross where Jesus literally laid down his lives for us. We get to literally, literally lay down our lives in other circumstances but to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves and to care for and serve them. The cross, the image of the cross, became the center, the, the heart of the story. It became the heart of the story for how we understand who God is and, and how we live our own lives. And so we got, we got four more weeks of this series that I'm looking forward to sharing with you, but today I just wanted to start in this place, in kind of a different place than some of the rest will be, but to remind you of the, of the heart of the story, to remind you of what the cross means for how we know God, that the cross becomes the picture of God's love for us. And if you ever wonder what God is like, what's the character of God, what's the heart of God, don't make stuff up, look at the cross. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And you'll know that God's love for you is not conditional. That God's love for you does not change. That God's love for you does not change with the circumstances and it does not depend on who you are, you did not earn it. But God's love for you came in the shape of the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you're in the middle of stories that feel like total chaos, And stuff is getting lost left and right and you're taking hits. You feel like you're taking on water and the ship is going down. When it's dark and it's heavy and it's hard, and and sometimes it is, I want you to know that in the midst of that chaos, that as you cry out to God and maybe you're going, God, why have you forgotten me? Why are you so far from the cries of my pain? That God is not absent from you in those moments. That in fact, Jesus shows us and Luther learned and many other Christians have learned that these are the times when God is most present to us. That God by his spirit comes near to us in our suffering. That's when God was present to Jesus. This is the means by which God saves the world. In the midst of your chaos, please know the closeness and presence of God. And then in all the just the little stories, and we're going to talk about little stories as we go forward, but the daily stuff, the struggles you face, the obedience you work out day by day, I want you to remember that the cross is the shape of life. That it's what makes life meaningful. That this is the way that we're part of the larger story of what God is doing in the world. It's not just some little story where you were born one day and one day later you stopped breathing and what are you even part of? But every day in between is part of the powerful work that God does in the world, part of the pattern of what God does by the cross to create love among us, to change his world the way he wants it to be. So I want to pray for us throughout this whole series and pray today that God especially will lead us to himself in the cross. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us, because you came to us in Jesus. You came to us in the cross. And God, I pray that you would come to us in the midst of our stories, that in the midst of all the parts of the stories that we're in that don't make much sense, that they don't feel very good, that are hard, that you're not absent from us, but you're present to us. And you're writing chapters in our stories that we can't even imagine yet. And you've given us a grand story to be a part of. God, I pray that you would would bring the cross in our own lives that you would bring hope into our lives, hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for the eternal tomorrow. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us in in hard obedience to you for the step-by-step walk of faith through the times that are hard. I pray, God, by your Holy Spirit that you would give us strength, strength that comes from hope, strength that comes from your victory. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Lead us to the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.